Yes, yes, yes. Looking good. Looking good. How you guys doing tonight? Good evening. Yes, we are going to break it all down for you, my brothers and sisters and in-betweeners. Good evening. Good evening. Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> now in nonfiction. No kidding, eh? No kidding. How you guys doing tonight? What's on your mind? Just wait for a few minutes for people to drift in their way. Wow, they really do have some potato cam stuff going over here on this Locals platform, but it's a great platform. Very happy to be here, and uh, tipping is allowed. Don't be shy. I insist that you not be shy. I enjoy writing, but often have days with no inspiration. What is your writing process, and how do you create when there is little uh, inspiration? Well, you can't get... Uh, no toothpaste out of an empty... You can't get toothpaste out of an empty toothpaste tube, so if you don't have inspiration, uh, read until something bothers you, and then that inspiration should take over. I mean, just poornovel.com. You get my free audiobook, uh, and you can read it on EPUB uh, or online. Uh, my audiobook of Just Poor and the novel I wrote, Just Poor, it's pretty wild because I wrote that well over 30 years ago, and it's social justice warrior stuff down to a T. Well, good evening, good evening. <clears throat> so nice to chat with you. What do you think about Michael Malice? Um, not, not much in particular. I, I've read one or two of his books. I think he was saying something about, well, there's more white people are concerned about losing numbers, but there are more white people alive now than ever before. And it's like, do you not notice how old they are and <laughs> whether they're fertile women or not? Like, so he seems to be kind of skimming the surface on a lot of things. But, you know, I don't, I don't really think much, uh, much about him. What did you think most about during your break? Uh, the world, my mistakes, and how to improve. Have you ever waxed your head before? Um, I do not believe that I have. Uh, I would be concerned that somebody would stick their fingers up my nose and go bowling with the big chatty forehead, so no. Um, just bought some coins for Steph's giant vault. Yes, yes, freedomain.com forward slash donate. So um, how... Would a free society handle people who need to be sectioned with mental illness? Well, uh, in a free society, a stateless society, the way it works, of course, is, I shouldn't say of course, like it's obvious, but the way that it works is your freedoms are contingent upon rational actions, right? And by, the, by that, I mean your capacity to participate in a society economically, which is really essential for you to get anything done in this world. I'm going to move. I'm not quite in the center here, so I'm going to just move this over a little. Uh, OCD kicking in, but we'll make it. Oh, no, now it's a little bit to the right. Oh, what am I going to do? All right. So if you start to go crazy, you would have insurance for that, and you would have to be tested, and there'd be rigorous brain scans and, and expert evaluations and so on. So you would have insurance against going crazy. And if you did go crazy, then you would agree to give up your liberties because you would be a danger to yourself and or others, and you would be... Uh, put into a place of, of healing or reparation, uh, re repair or uh, something as, as best could be done. So that would be uh, the way that would work, I'm sure. Again, could be any number of things. So, Did you share your thoughts on your mistakes on the previous live stream? Love to hear the growth. Sure, I will uh, tell you about, um, I, I did talk about it in the last live stream, but I will tell you about <clears throat> what I thought about. And what I thought about was, I'm really old. <laughs> Oh, sorry, a little bit of a cough, just getting over. So I'm really old, and what that means is that I come from a generation where we argued the shit out of everything. We debated, we argued, we fought, we raised voices, we never really got trolley, we never hurled insults, but we worked very hard to try and get to the truth. 
we would debate in our Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I remember once uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, I had a chaotic good ranger called out a hit on someone. And I considered that evil enough to turn him chaotic neutral. I was the dungeon master. So he paid an assassin to kill an enemy who was neutral, not evil. It was a chaotic neutral enemy. And I figured, so a chaotic good ranger shouldn't be hiring an assassin to kill someone who isn't even evil. And that stripped him of his chaotic good. Now, when he lost his chaotic good, he lost all his ranger powers and all of that. And he fought ferociously. And we had massive moral arguments about the ethics of assassination on non-evil characters and i actually remember we ended up trooping to a guy who worked in the basement of the local library who was considered to be the gandalf wizard of dungeons and dragons and we debated with him and i debated of course uh, colonialism and, and and abortion and i debated uh, death penalty and i mean i just you welfare state socialized medicine we just debated hard and it was very aggressive slash assertive while we were debating but afterwards we were mostly friends and sometimes I won and sometimes I got my ass handed to be on a silver platter and so I, I went I won't go into into detail here because that's was in the premium cast I did a couple of days ago but a guy named Stuart smoked me on evolution because he went through all of the improbable steps that were required to get DNA or the building blocks of life out of a primordial soup and he said, you know, would you, would you found your beliefs on something so wildly improbable? And that's a fair, a fair question, fair statement. I did not have an answer to him. Now, as a staunch atheist at the time, that was disturbing to me. And I remember going to my atheist friend saying, you know, this guy had a really good argument about the math and this, that, and the other. And they were all like, yeah, but it happened. What do you care, right? Okay, but so sometimes I would uh, lose. I remember losing an abortion argument to another friend of mine who was a Christian. And so sometimes you'd win, sometimes you'd lose, but generally you'd get closer to the truth and you'd sharpen your skills in conversation. Like I didn't just stroll into this world of online back and forth with no history. I've been debating since I was 12, uh, which is why when I went into university and I went on my first debating tour, I came in seventh in Canada, uh, sixth, sixth, I think it was in Canada, my very first time out. And so I had a lot of experience debating. Now, sometimes you'd win a debate and sometimes you'd lose a debate. But I'll tell you what never happened and what would have been completely and utterly incomprehensible to occur. What would never, ever, 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 ever occur is this guy, Stuart, who beat me in a debate. He worked at the Appian Way pizza place at the Dom Mills Mall. And he beat me in a debate. Now, do you know what I would never do in a million years? Never in a million years. Would I call up his boss and say, that guy, Stuart, I went to get a piece of pizza. I ordered a piece of pizza. He spat on it and then threw it at me, threw it at me. Oh, and also, do you know what else I saw? I saw him stealing from the till. Do you know why I wouldn't do that? Because I'm not fucking insane. I'm not psychotic. So I would never, if I lost a debate... I would never in a million years try and get someone fired from their job, try to de-platform them economically. I would get better at my debates and I would go back for more. So I was young and, and I did this when I was a teenager. I did this in high school. I did this in my undergraduate degree. I, I did this at theater school. I argued politics, which is one of the reasons they didn't like me too much. I went to McGill. 
uh, well, I did two years of English literature at York University campus, two years, almost two years of, of acting and playwriting in the Nas National Theatre School. I did two years of history, uh, undergraduate at McGill University. I did a master's degree uh, at the University of Toronto in the history of philosophy, and I debated the shit out of everyone. I loved it. I loved it. Um, I was had my hand up, and I had a uh, professor. I took an entire course on Marxism. I just debated him the whole time. It was great. So that was civilized behavior. That was normal behavior. You didn't try and get people fired. You didn't, you know, can you imagine if, if the guy who beat me in the abortion debate, if I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to find his bike at the bike rack at the school. See, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to loosen the shit out of his brakes. So that when he tries to break, it's going to be great, man. When he tries to break, it's just going to go straight into traffic. See, I wouldn't, like, that's inconceivable to me. You wouldn't set fire to someone's house. You wouldn't physically attack them. You wouldn't try and deplatform them from their economics. You wouldn't do any of that shit because you're not insane. You're not, like, evil, right? So you don't do it. So I was just sort of mulling over, like, yeah, I debated hard. I fought hard for what I believe in and believe in. And, or believed in and believe in. And... I just didn't recognize how much the world had changed so that debating doesn't really seem to be, um, it's not really a thing that people do anymore. They pretend to debate and then they gather information and then they try to destroy your life. And that's, uh, that's about it. Let's see here. Uh... Uh, what are some good hedges against the declining hegemony of the U.S. dollar? I, yeah, I'm not going to give investment advice, sorry. How does land work in a free society if people group claim an entire country? You can't group claim an entire country. You can't. In order for uh, property to work, this has been worked out by every Western nation from, I don't know, pre-Roman Empire, pre-Greek Empires and onwards. So the way that you stake a claim, and I know this because I did this after high school, I was a gold panner and prospector, so I actually went around and staked claims. And it's kind of the government service, but it still works the same way. So you have to enclose a certain area. You have to invest some labor in circling a certain area. You can't just point and say, oh, from this tree to this mountain, it's all mine, right? Because you can't prove anything. So what we had to do was we had to go a kilometer square and nail... Uh, tags identifying the company uh, or myself to trees and then you would get the mineral rights for a certain amount of time and if you found something it would be yours so um, some sort of investment uh, in in labor some sort of uh, you know if, if you build a fence around something if you plant stuff if you build a house right so you would own the land around that that's all very well uh, sorted out so Uh, somebody says, my mother recently had a stroke. I think it might be related to the vax as they are blood clot related. I'm plotting my escape from my immoral family, but they're constantly hammering me to help my mother. It's frustrating. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That is very tough. That is very tough. Uh, have you ever been in a fist fight? How does it feel compared to an all-out debate? I have n I'm very proud to say I have never been in a fist fight. And if I go to my grave never having been in a fist fight, I would consider that a great success. So... Uh, as a 32-year-old guy, I didn't experience debating. It was already a thing of the past. Yeah, it's really sad, right? It's really sad. Removing the all-you-can-eat-at-pizza-hut was an act against God. <laughs> as long as you learn something new, you never truly last a debate. Yeah, of course, of course, absolutely. You appear to be standing. I'm in bed, but it's okay. Well, let me just lean over and tuck you in. 
Uh, let's see here. Hey, Steph, I've been listening for years. We did an interview on Medicaid fraud together in 2019. Well, hello. Thank you for everything you do. I'm curious to know if you think nuclear weapons will stay buried in their silos and stay in their submarine launch tubes. Hasn't human history showed that humans always use efficient and effective weapons for their Nietzschean will to power on a mass scale? No, no, the new weaponry is demographics, right? So I need to do that. Uh, what have you done to prepare for the collapse? Well, that's a whole other conversation. We'll perhaps have another night, but it's a great question. Uh, they tarred and feathered your name, skinned and quartered it, and then dragged its bleeding corpse through the mud. Well, everyone, everyone who amounts to anything intellectually has to go through the wilderness phase, right? You have to go through the phase where you, you have enough influence and you have enough eloquence and you have enough reach that you really begin to affect how power moves and works in this world. And then you get yeeted out into the outer rim, into the interstellar depths, you, you know, Jesus in the desert and, and all of that. So you have to have your time in the wilderness and um, it's fine, it's fine. Hi from China, well, hi back. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> Thank you for the explanation. Conservative therapists are constantly being bullied against for our debates on values and morality, so I completely understand. Yeah, I think I think therapy should be a moral examination, fundamentally. Lost my job because I'm vaxxed. Then they prohibit me going to traveling to a country where I can work. We're not bald, we're gaining face. <laughs> I don't have less hair, I just have more forehead, right? Uh, in, your mu in your novel Almost, there is a scene with a landmine. A landline? Landmine that doesn't go off until he steps off. Those type of landmines don't exist in a strictly Hollywood. I... Um, I, I don't care. I mean, if you if you're gonna nitpick about a free book that took me two years to write and uh, uh, you know a month to record, and you're gonna nitpick about something, um, I would consider that fantastic. If because I, I did you know like six different countries in twenty plus years and a whole bunch of different classes and levels and and all of that. So if one thing I got was a landmine, I consider that a great compliment. But it's interesting to me that you wouldn't say great novel or interesting novel or thank you for handing out for free, but you're like, you know, there's something that, that just didn't, didn't quite right. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it picky stuff? is just, I mean, does is, is it bring you happiness? Does it, does, <laughs> does it bring you joy? And I'll tell you why, why it's a problem, right? Let me, let me tell you something. Okay, hit me with a why if you've, hit, if you've seen the movie Braveheart. Okay, so hit me with a why if you've seen the movie Braveheart. Right. Uh, what, what did they wear around their waists in, in Braveheart? You remember? Yeah, they wore kilts, right? They wore kilts because it's a Scottish film about independence. I've actually never seen it, believe it or not. But um, So they wore kilts in Braveheart. Do you know that that's completely historically inaccurate, that kilts weren't around until hundreds of years after Braveheart? Do you care? Did it make the story more powerful, more vivid, look more Scottish? You know, when, when I was writing Just Poor, I'm like, well, I could get all of the exact aristocratic titles right and and so on but they would switch between classes and the women would be and i was just like you know i'm just going to do lord and lady because that's what people sort of understand so yeah so you and you don't sit there and say well i can't enjoy braveheart because it's wildly historically inaccurate and there are tons of anachronisms in shakespeare and stuff like that so so the problem is great book very little thing just short you should know not trying to be hypercritical well but see if the first thing that you tell me is a 
silly little criticism, then that's my impression of you, right? See, you have to know how you land for other people, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons I became so successful in doing what I'm doing, so successful that they had to eat me off. You, you have to know how you're landing for other people. So if the first thing that you come up with with someone is, if, I, get, I, I spent years writing this book and poured literally heart, soul, and history, personal history into it. And you, I guess you read the book and you or you listen to the book, and I, I assume you enjoyed it because you went far enough. So if the first thing that you say after I gave out something I poured heart, soul, and blood, sweat, and tears into for years, if the first thing you say is a little nitpicky thing about a factual error, that's all I know about you, right? So, so that's just important. I'm, I'm trying to sort of help you understand how you land for other people, right? It's really important. And the other thing too, nitpicking, oof, let me tell you why nitpicking is a problem. Nitpicking is not going to stop me. Right? Nit nitpicking is not going to stop me. Yeah, I make mistakes. Yeah, I make errors. You know, So I don't care. I fundamentally don't care about them. I will certainly go and correct them because I have integrity, but expecting perfection is just paralysis, right? So this kind of nitpicking isn't going to slow me down, but my concern is not how your nitpicking affects me. My, my concern, seriously, is how the nitpicking affects you. That's, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that the nitpicking paralyzes you. Right, because if the first thing that you like, are you trying to level up? Are you trying to appear smarter than me? Are you? And you can say, "Oh, well, I'm just trying to give you a helpful little thing," and that's great. I mean, I don't mind that there's an error in in the landmine. I I don't care. I mean, I think I got that from the killing fields or something like that. But anyway, so. But if the first thing that you come up with when you've consumed someone's work of two years, if the first thing you come up with is a criticism rather than a compliment, if you liked it, which I assume you did, and you said you did then um, people are going to have a negative experience of you. Now, as a listener to this show, as a devotee of the great glorious goddess of philosophy, I will tell you this right now. I do not want people to have a negative experience of you. You, you with me, brother? I'm really trying to be nice here. And, and I am being as nice as, as a human being can possibly be. I do not want people to have a negative experience of you. And there's nothing wrong with telling someone he got something wrong. But if that's the first thing that you say after you've consumed something for free, you know, like imagine, imagine that you're putting a big giant free buffet on, right? Hey, everybody just come and free buffet. You're a really, really generous guy. Give out this free buffet, right? And then I come up to you and I say, there's just, there's, there's a little bit too much, there's a little bit too much salt in this tomato soup. Do you appear, would I appear ungrateful to you? <laughs> would I appear kind of negative? Would you have a negative experience? As opposed to me coming up and saying, you know, thank you so much. This is an incredible spread. Wow, this is so good. The food is fantastic. Um, love it to death. This I love, this I love, this I love. Tomato soup, maybe a little less salt. My particular, you know, my particular thought, I'm not an expert, but I thought it was a bit oversalted. Everything else, fantastic. And by the way, thank you again so much for what it is that you have done here, right? Now, A, positive experience, B, criticism still goes over, and C, people are much more likely to listen to your criticisms. Because if you want to criticize something that I wrote, fantastic, love it. But if you want me to listen to the criticism, then, you know, you need to be uh, a little bit grateful for the fact that I wrote and recorded and put out this book entirely for free, and then you found something minorly wrong in it. So just a thought, just a thought. I want, you, I want people to enjoy your feedback because if you want to give feedback, I'm telling you that, uh, that this is the way to do it. 
All right, so let's see here. Um, I've, I've got stuff to talk about with the world as a whole. Uh, why do left-wing whites have an out-group preference? But that's like asking why do people support Ukraine and, and don't say anything about what's going on, the civil war that's killed half a million people in Ethiopia. People don't have preferences. They do what they're fucking told. You understand, right? They're just doing, you program the people and the people then do their thing, right? They're, they're not, people don't have their own thoughts or their own opinions for the most part, right? So they're told to and they, they believe it, right? Uh, do you have any comments about the idea of NPCs, people who don't have an inner dialogue? Or do you believe this exists? And if so, can they be self-aware of this fact? Um, is that the definition of NPC, that they don't have an inner dialogue? My understanding that the definition of the non-player character is that they're following a programmed script in the same way that, you know, when you're playing Skyrim or something, you go up and there's a series of things you can talk about, ask questions, they answer. So people have <clears throat> programmed responses. I don't think it's true. It could be the case, but my understanding of the NPC is they, they, just, they just spew out propaganda. They don't have any thoughts of their own. And this is what Yuri Abesmanov talked about when he talked about demoralization. When you've excavated out someone's true self and you've replaced it with emotionally volatile propaganda and you've, termed, you've weaponized them against free thinkers, right? The whole process of propaganda is to weaponize the outrage of the brain-dead mob against anybody who thinks for himself or herself, right? Because when you can get people to place their entire identity on propaganda, then questioning that propaganda literally feels like murder to them. The only thing that they know is propaganda, and they've become addicted to attacking whoever inconveniences the rulers and getting dopamine out of that, right? And so if you question whether they're right, if you question whether the rulers are right, and if you point out the prevalence of the propaganda and the fact that they haven't thought these things through at all, then you, it feels to them like you are destroying their personality and, and sending them spiraling into a pit of, of depression and despair, the likes of which only Dante could fathom. And that's why they react and attack so strongly and so vociferously because they've been hollowed out, replaced by propaganda. If you take out that propaganda, they genuinely feel, and they may be right, that there's nothing left. There's nothing else other than propaganda in there by now. Like Lies drive out the truth, and if you can get enough lies into someone, there's no truth left, and the truth becomes a complete enemy to them. I think people sometimes try to be helpful by pointing out a technical mistake. Well, I, uh, I suppose it's been a while since... Really bland, dumb statements from listeners have <laughs> tested my patience. I think people sometimes try to be helpful by pointing out a technical mistake. <laughs> okay, I, I don't even need to say anything about that. All right. Um, uh, good to see you doing well. Haven't quite yet gotten to just poor yet. Well, I hope you do because um, it's really, it's really good. Like, it's funny because I wrote it like 30 years ago. And I started recording it 12 years ago, and then I finally finished it uh, recently. And you know when you go back over something that you did a long time ago, you can be kind of like, ooh, that wasn't great, or, you know, I've learned a lot more since then, and I'm like, no, this is like, this is, this is perfect. It's perfect. So, uh, Let's see here. Messaging you, Steph, has actually really improved my ability to see how things land. There has been some, oops, I didn't mean that moments, but seriously, it's helped me. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Yo, yo, new, new to locals. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, so, 
hit me with the why if you want to know. Hit me with the why if you want to know what's going on with Putin and the ruble. What do I think of people who work in the MIC? No idea what that even means. Yes, please. Okay, so uh, can you do me a favor? Again, I just really want to get your feedback on this uh, so I know where I'm starting from. Um, oh, military-industrial complex? Uh, well, these days it's pretty gross. So from 1 to 10, how much have you been following the Putin, Zelensky, Ukraine, Russia stuff? Just from a 1 to a 10. 20. Mm-hmm. Okay, quite a scattershot here. So I apologize uh, for, for this. Uh, if it's too a bit too bleh, bleh, bleh for people who haven't been following too much or it's not enough. Uh, so, okay, so look. Please don't forget as well. I mean, I, I know, like I've been, I was gone for a while and, and one day I'll tell the whole story of that, but I've been gone for a while. <clears throat> I, have, I have some treats for you guys, for sure. I, I will tell you this coming up now. But... Um, uh, at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Really, really appreciate it. And and the reason I'm saying this now is because from the beginning of the pandemic, like over two years ago, I've not done a donation pitch because I knew it was hard for people and so on, right? But now that it seems to be easing, if you could help me out, I have to sort of rebuild the uh, income of, of the show. And so, yes, I appreciate that. If you could, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Hugely helpful. I massively appreciate it. And I will, I will absolutely... Um, Continue to, to work to bring you the best content in the world. And that, that is always my commitment. It is not, uh, oh, I can do the best. I, can, I want you to bring you the best content in the world. So I will tell you <coughs> what I think of this whole, this whole war. So the first thing we have to understand, and, and you know, this is not a moral analysis, because this is just a bunch of state actors deploying weaponry against populations. Uh, now, so this is not a moral analysis. This is not a condemnation or a condoning of anyone from a, an ethical standpoint, right? This is simply an analysis of power structures and the causes and effects that is going on. So I will tell you what I think is, is going on. So the first thing you have to understand is that Putin absolutely knew he was going to get sanctioned. Everything that the West has done was perfectly predictable, and Putin is a very smart guy when it comes to power politics. I mean, ruling over Russia is not the easiest thing in the known universe. There's quite a lot of multiculturalism in Russia, and, um, you know, you've got the Islamic presence and uh, Islamic people on the border, and, you know, you've got uh, alcoholism and a fairly short life expectancy and the shattered population eviscerated and despined by communism. So it's not an easy thing to do, and... The guy is, you know, very energetic. He he plays hockey. He races motor cars. He he does judo. I mean, he's he's a active and engaged kind of guy. And he has said things that would absolutely get you deplatformed in the West. There's very little truth that you can tell in the West anymore. Very little truth that you can tell in the West anymore. And he said stuff that would absolutely, without a doubt, get you deplatformed, and in fact, would get you prosecuted in some countries. So, Putin gamed out this whole thing. Right, he gamed out. He didn't just wake up one day. Guarantee you, did not wake up one day, and say, "That's it. I'm just gonna." Hey, you know what? It's a Thursday. I'm gonna invade Ukraine. That's not. That's not how it played out. He planned this for a long time. He could see this coming for a long time. He saw that the <clears throat> NATO was expanding eastward into the buffer states around Russia. That Russia used to have a buffer states called Eastern Europe uh, uh, under the USSR. 
he could very clearly see that Europe was moving eastward towards Russia. This was, you know, like that, you know, like that old comic from, was it a far side comic where One of the cavemen's looking at the other, and there's like a wall of ice, and he's like, hey, is that, is that wall of ice closer today? Uh, he could see this coming. He, he was talking about this stuff in the late 90s. He definitely made it very clear in 2007, 2008 that he wasn't going to stand for any uh, absorption of uh, Ukraine into NATO. And so this is not something that just, he didn't react to this. He probably spent 
I would say six to 18 months planning all of this. And when you plan these kinds of things, what you do uh, is you, you game out the responses, right? So you say, okay, if I invade Ukraine, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to sanction me here. They're going to sanction me there. We already know that the Western media, <clears throat> particularly in America, is wildly anti-Russian. Like Russia-phobic uh, Russia in ways that can't really be conceived of outside of a mental asylum. They're fanatically and insanely anti-Russian and have been ever since the fall of the Soviet Union. So they're going to lie uh, about Russia in the same way they said that Russia stole the election from Hillary Clinton and gave it to Donald Trump and blah, blah, blah. So I guarantee you that, that Putin and his generals and everyone else gamed the living shit out of all of this stuff, trying to figure out every chess piece, every move, everything that was going to happen. And given that nothing, at least to me, nothing has happened that is not surprising. Yes. <laughs> I just want to make sure I, 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 I Mobius stripped my double negatives for a second there. Everything that's happened has been perfectly predictable, right? Massive condemnation of the Russians and no responsibility or ownership for the push eastwards from NATO, which Russia said was going to cause a war if you keep coming, right? No comparison of Russia's desire for a buffer state with America's Monroe Doctrine covering half the entire planet. And a, a massive amount of surreptitious arming of Ukraine, which is involving yourself in a war, whether you, whether you like it or not. So all of this has occurred and every time I sort of look at the news, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, you could see that coming. So the, they were going to kick Russia off the SWIFT system, which is the international banking settlement system. Uh, and they're going to um, sanction and they're going to try and geographically isolate and so on, right? It's all, all very, very predictable. So given that everything that has happened in response to the invasion is extraordinarily predictable, but he decided to go with the invasion anyway. So if you say, well, if I do this, he's going to do this. Like if you're playing chess and you say, okay, well, if I move my knight here, then he's going to move his bishop, then he's going to move his rook, then he's going to, right? So you have a plan. You have a plan. You got to be five moves ahead, 10 moves ahead, whatever it's going to be, right? So let me just pause here for a sec because it's a live stream. So I want you guys feedback. Is there something that has happened in the West's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Is there anything that's happened that to me has been really, really uh, surprising? Now, the banking system was very predictable. We know that because people are being deplatformed from the banking system. It's, yeah, I mean, I don't think anything that's happened in the West, like what would have been, what would have happened in the West that would have been surprising would be something like, Wow, you know, I guess he told us that if we kept pushing eastwards with with um, <clears throat> with NATO, that there was going to be a war. So let's try and deal with that, and that does seem to be happening at the moment, right? What surprised me is that China didn't move into Taiwan immediately. Yes, I that doesn't surprise me enormously, but and I'll sort of get into that uh, a little later. Is the biolabs narrative a ruse or disinfo? Well, no, the biolabs narrative has been completely confirmed. I mean, wasn't this woman talking? under oath to Congress about the biolabs? And hasn't it just come out from the Hunter Biden emails that Hunter Biden helped secure some funding for these biolabs in Ukraine? So. Uh, so, okay, it, it does seem to be that there's nothing hugely shocking or surprising about what, is, what has happened. So if there's nothing shocking or surprising about what has happened, then... Putin went into this invasion knowing exactly what the West is going to do and having a plan for it. 
You understand? He went, he went into this invasion having spent at least six to 18 months, probably more, six to 18 months planning this invasion, knowing what the West was going to do and having a plan to handle it, right? Uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm certainly no interplanetary geographical and, and military expert, but this is sort of the way it seems pretty, pretty obvious to me. All the companies banning Russia shocked me. Why? But they banned me, right? He probably was more surprised at how hard the Ukrainians are fighting back. Um, I don't think so. Ukrainians are very tough fighters, very tough group. Um, okay, so... So, so what, what is going on? What is going on? Well, I'm going to sketch out a potential scenario. Obviously, I don't know. Nobody calls me. <laughs> Nobody tells me. So I don't know. But I'll tell you what I think is going on. The one thing that the world that is hostile to the U.S., which is really a lot of the world, if you look at all the countries that have sanctioned Russia or, or banned Russia from this, that, or the other, it's a very small number of European and Canadian and American countries. It's a very small number. If you look at the actual map of the people who sanctioned, right? India hasn't sanctioned, China hasn't sanctioned, obviously, and Japan hasn't sanctioned, and, and Africa, of course, doesn't care. So everything that's happening is predictable, which means this is everything the West is doing is part of the plan. So when you respond in an entirely predictable way to an enemy, your response is part of his plan. Do you understand what I'm saying by this? And, and again, if I'm getting too abstract, just hit me with an N. Just hit me with an N. I'll look for that, right? If, you know, if you've ever played chess with someone who's really good, and a friend of mine's kids are like, the oldest kid is like, I don't know, 12, and he's like scary good at chess. And I'm medium at chess, right? And he just he just toasts me completely, right? Because he's got all these moves, and, and I'm just like playing instinct and all that. So he's, you know, eight moves ahead, and... So everything that I'm doing, he, he's predicted everything that I'm doing, which means everything that I'm doing is part of his plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, right? Okay. So given that the invasion and the West's response to it is the same thing, and given that Putin and other countries have gamed out the response, I guarantee you Putin did not make this move without talking to China first. That seems to be almost incomprehensible because they've worked very quickly to replace the SWIFT system with what Alipay and, and other things that, that deal with bank settlements and transfers, right? So <clears throat> you've, got, you've got Russia, you've got China, maybe India, other people. And again, I have no proof of any of this, right? So it's all just my speculation. But this is, I think, how in an amoral universe, which is kind of politics, right? This is how things would, would play out, right? So they're sitting there saying, okay, well, we're going to get kicked off the SWIFT system. We're going to get sanctioned. They're going to cut our economy. They're going to try and, you know, companies may withdraw, this, that, and the other, right? I mean, the fact that McDonald's withdrew and within a couple of days, they turned it in, they turned the McDonald's sign on its side and it become Uncle Vanya and they replaced all the McDonald's ingredients with cheaper locally grown stuff. That's not something that just happens out of nowhere. This is all planned out ahead of time. And if you're not thinking about how your responses to an enemy's moves are part of his plans, you're going to lose. It's the fundamental art of war. 
is to say, okay, if I do this, my enemy is going to do that. And if that's predictable, that has to be part of my plan. If my enemy is acting against me and I'm responding in an entirely predictable way, that is part of his plan. And he's going to have a plan for that, my response, right? So, like in chess, you do this, like you leave a piece exposed, you leave a piece exposed, hoping that someone's going to take it, and then you just rush into the void and take it, take, take the other person down, right? So, so then the question is, okay, so given that this is the response of the West, what was the plan? Well, the plan, the target is not Ukraine, in my humble opinion. And again, no proof, no expertise, just my thoughts. What is the true target of Russia? What are they truly aiming at? You guys are too smart. Too smart. Yeah, freedom from the dollar. Yeah. Yeah, Russia has a good debt to GDP, a GDP to debt ratio. They've got tons of gold. They've got all the natural resources in the world. And now Russia is demanding, well, one is a demand and one is an invite. So Russia is saying to Europe, if you want to buy energy from us, you have to buy it in rubles. What is that going to do? Drive up the demand for the rubles. So people are going to be selling their US dollars, which they had kept in order to buy, right? Because the international currency for, as you know, for oil was um, the petrodollar based upon what Nixon did with the Saudis in 71. So they're going to, the Europeans who rely on Russia for 40% of their energy, and there's a reason why he did this in the winter, right? So the Europeans are going to have to sell their U.S. dollars and they're going to have to buy a bunch of rubles. It's going to drive down the value of the U.S. dollar that's driving up inflation in America. So that's, I mean, that's fairly clear. That's number one. Number two is that he's now floating the idea, by all reports, again, it's fog of war stuff. So may, all this stuff may be disproven tomorrow. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the information at the moment is that Putin is now saying, oh yeah, we'll accept Bitcoin and, and legitimate crypto for energy sales, for natural resource sales. Okay, so let's say that people have crypto and they want to buy stuff, then they will buy that from Putin using crypto. They won't translate it into US dollars. So he is squarely aiming at the hegemony of the petrodollar and the status of the US dollar as the world's reserve currency. So that's interesting, would you say? Uh, tell, me what, tell me what you think, if, if this makes any uh, any sense at all uh, as uh, as all of this hit me with a y if it makes sense hit me with an n and and if i'm wrong you then tell me what uh, what you think you you thought this would drive bitcoin price up more well you know bitcoin is you under, you got to understand how quickly bitcoin is being adopted it's insane rio de janeiro in brazil is now as of next year going to be accepting Bitcoin to pay taxes. Now, one of the things that drives a country's, the value of a country's currency is that you have to use it to pay taxes. So whatever you have, you've got to convert it into that country's currency to pay taxes. If you can pay taxes directly from crypto, you're bypassing the whole central bank, you understand, right? It's going to really lower the, I mean, it's a kill shot for the value of the currency in, in the long run. So yeah, a lot of that is, is going on, right? Okay, so... 
if this is interesting to you, and I, I obviously want to, I want to serve you as much as humanly possible as my way of groveling and apologizing for being gone for a couple of months. So, uh, I don't think El Salvador has switched its currency to Bitcoin, but it has accepted Bitcoin as a currency. Would you like to know the Chinese side of things, the Chinese angle? Hit me with a Y if you'd like to know the Chinese angle. Happy to be hodling? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Hodling like yodeling. Okay, so... The view outside the empire of the West is really bizarre. The West increasingly looks like an absolute asylum to people outside the West. Like the... I mean, there's a whole bunch of causes for all of this, but I think one of the most fundamental causes has been opening the floodgates wide of the pseudo-intellectualism of the universities has let people of a standard deviation or two on average below the average IQ of people who used to go to university. So it used to be the top 10% of people in society would go to university. Now it's 50%, 60%, and two-thirds of, of um, student debt is now held by women, and it's completely crushing them, by the way. I mean, I, I've read reports and got emails from women who were like, oh, I could be paying off my student debt for five years, and it's higher now than when I started, and it's going to kill their fertility, kill their marriage prospects, because who's going to want to sign up to pay 150 grand off of some woman's student loan for art history that she uses. And of course, people have had time off from their student loans during the pandemic. That's all going to come back. So when you throw open the gates of the university, it doesn't make people smarter, right? It, you know, I've said this before, it's this ridiculous cause and effect, you know, well, you know, there's a lot of tall people on the basketball team. So if we force short people to join the basketball team, they'll become taller. It's like, no, that's not. And, and you know, I just, by the way, by the by, this drives me a little crazy. And it goes something like this. Everyone's like, well, you got to go to university because it's so economically productive. If we train people, if we educate people, that'd be so economically productive. Oh my God, we need student loan forgiveness because people are economically unproductive. And it's like, does nobody put any of this? Is it just me? Is nobody put any of this uh, uh, stuff uh, together? So. so in the West, what they do is they look at someone like Trump and they say, okay, well, an outsider came into the political system because the political class was not serving the people. The political class was serving themselves. They were for serving foreign entities. They were serving corruption. They were serving the military-industrial complex. They were serving whatever, right? Propagandists. But they weren't serving the people. So someone like Trump got in and the entire system went insane and tried to destroy him and his family and his friends and blah, 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 right? So when you see something like that, you say, okay, do we want the West as a whole, not just talk about America in particular, do we want the West as a whole to be kind of in charge, to be the star by which we navigate by? And I talked about this when I went out to Hong Kong in 2019. I did my documentary. You can get it at free at freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. It's if, you wanna, if you've ever fantasized about me taking a face full of tear gas for the cause, well, I took more than one. On that, uh, on that black day, marching with the uh, anti-communists. But I talked about this when I was on um, uh, TV in, in Hong Kong, where I said, you know, we're lo in the West, we're losing our moral authority, our moral legitimacy. Nobody wants to follow us anymore. Nobody looks at the West and says, oh, wow, what a great society. That's something to aspire to. So uh, China also has, and I don't know, 
I think I think Russia too, but China for sure has a very, very dim view of multiculturalism. Because, you know, there are all these studies out there, the Putnam studies and so on, that show that multiculturalism is generally a disaster. Now, personally, I don't believe that multiculturalism is innately a disaster, but multiculturalism plus the state turns into multilegalism, which we're kind of seeing at the moment, right? Different laws for different groups. So um, when they see the West becoming more and more and more multicultural, they view that, and again, whether it's right or wrong, this is definitely how they view it. In, in China, for sure, and I think in Russia as well, they view that as something that is destabilizing, something that is going to cause a lot of problems in society. And of course, they're aware, China in particular, and Russia, I think as well, are very aware that the communists said, well, the way we're going to take down the West is we're going to bring in multiculturalism, and then they're going to whip up hatred between ethnicities, and then that's how we'll, we'll do it. Right? And this was 1922. They, no, 1921, they first came up with this in the... Um, Communist International. So <clears throat> they, they know all of this stuff, and none of this stuff is being taught in the West, right, outside of our little happy grim club. So they look at the West and they say, okay, it's not going to last. It's too much debt. It's too much destabilization, uh, and there's too many problems. So we're going to have to find another way for the world economy to work. And so the alignment between Russia and China is certainly one of the worst geopolitical disasters that's happened in the West um, probably since Yalta. So giving Russia and China, now China, of course, is, what is it, the biggest? No, I think it's, is it Japan? China's the biggest foreign holder of U.S. debt or something like that. I can't remember exactly. It's one of those. China's certainly huge. Uh, and, and so what they're saying is they're saying, okay, well, We'll maintain the value of the U.S. dollar as long as we, th we can keep that illusion going. But if we can't keep that illusion going, then we won't bother trying to maintain the value of the U.S. dollar. When the U.S. dollar gets to a tipping point where its value cannot be sustained, we'll let it slide and we'll align ourselves with Russia or whatever it's uh, going to be. Now, of course, without a doubt, China wants Hong Kong, China wants Taiwan and all of that, but they're not going to do this all at the same time. Because that's more likely to provoke a response. You know, it's the drip, drip, drip thing, right? Uh, this, is, this is the way that you take away people's rights, is, is you take away some rights until they're just on the verge of protesting or just protesting a little bit. And they're like, whoa, 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 okay, okay, we'll, we'll back off, we'll back off. So you take three steps forward, two steps back. This is the COVID thing too, right? And then when they've settled down, you just take another three steps forward, they get really mad and just take one, two steps back or one step back. And you're just, you're incrementally advancing the whole time. And that's the way they want to do it with Taiwan and Hong Kong, right? They don't want to do it all at once because that would provoke too strong a response. They just want to water washes away stone. Remember, the Chinese have a 500-year plan. I mean, America not only can't plan into next week, but can't even define what a woman is. Right? <laughs> somebody on the Supreme Court judge, if somebody wants to become a Supreme Court judge, doesn't, doesn't know what a woman is. I don't know what that does to Title IX, but anyway. Um, we're going to have to get rid of all of affirmative action for women because nobody knows what a woman is. So, so um, China and Russia, well, okay, so China is to America in pharmaceuticals as Russia is to Europe in energy, right? So it's way north of 90% of, say, antibiotics in America are manufactured in China as is a huge amount of other medicine, as is just a huge amount of other manufacturing stuff as a whole. 
because this kind of deal that's been going on since the 1970s, where it's like, okay, we'll give you a big welfare state. And the only way we'll be able to do that, to keep that welfare state going, and a lot of regulation and environmental regulations and unionization and so on, the only way we're going to keep the economy going is outsourcing the shit out of our manufacturing, which is why everything went to Mexico, went to China, went to Japan in the 80s and so on. And this outsourcing of manufacturing, and you can say, okay, well, it's widgets and it's toys and it's crayons and so on. It's like, yeah, well, but it's a lot of steel and machinery and oil and, and, and medicine, medicine, huge medicine, right? Uh, huge med medicinal stuff. So, of course, other countries are, are very happy, especially totalitarian countries are very happy to, yeah, oh, oh yeah, we'll make all your medicines for sure, absolutely, we'll re be real cheap and all that. We'll ship it all over to you, it won't be a problem. Because with the welfare state and, and borrowing, you have an inflationary pressure on the currency because you've got to borrow and print, right? And the way that you counteract that inflationary pressure on the currency is you outsource manufacturing to cheaper countries. So you've got the upward pressure on price from the welfare state and the military-industrial complex. You've got the downward pressure on price from cheaper manufacturing from overseas. And so that has, of course, hollowed out the lower middle class and middle class and the path to the middle class for a lot of Americans, which is driving the fentanyl crisis and, and all of that sort of stuff. And it has allowed the West to become enormously decadent. So decadent to me is when you no longer have any sense of material, sorry, material, tangible, economic, numeric reality. When you're just completely spinning uh, out of control. That to me is decadent. When you're no longer moored in facts, reason, and evidence. And you're no longer willing to subject your desires or your wishes or your whims to facts, reason, and evidence. Where it's angry will from rather dull-witted people who think that they're intellectuals, that's what dominates the entire uh, discourse. So, yeah, now they're going to ally, the China and Russia, and India is going in there too. India, of course, was enormously turned against the West by Justin Trudeau hammering hard on the trucker protests after lecturing India for 18 months to sit down and reason with their protesters who also had trucks. Gave them long lectures on how they got to sit down and understand their concerns and so on. So Canada's losing its reputation. The, the Europe is... You, you understand how... Uh, you understand how ridiculous, let's look at Europe, right? How ridiculous, if you're sitting there from, you're sitting there in Moscow, right? Or, or Beijing or wherever, right? Let's talk about Moscow for now. You're sitting there in Moscow, right? And you, you, you see an entire continent, the seat of Western civilization. You see this entire continent that has taken its geopolitical and energy advice from a fairly mentally ill teenager, right? You have been funding, as Russia has been funding, and China has been funding, and Saudi Arabia has been funding environmental groups to not, or to, to, to disallow fracking and, and drilling and gas exploration and nuclear power and all of that. Now, people aren't sitting there saying, well, you know, we don't want, like, we want green energy. We want solar, and we want wind, and we want water, and all that kind of stuff. And so, we're going to have to limit our energy consumption until such time as those scale up to what we need, which has never happened and never will happen. Why? Because the wind stops and it's cloudy sometimes. So what's happened is that people have said, well, we don't want energy production. We only want energy consumption. And that's decadence, right? I want to consume. I don't want to produce. Well, of course, if you want to consume, but you're not going to produce, other people have to produce or you're going to do without. So from the, the view from Moscow is wild when you think about it, right? So the view from Moscow is this. 
You've got all of these, you know, chest-thumping European politicians. Oh, this is terrible. This is wrong. This is, we're sanctioning. We're sanctioning. It's like, well, except for the vast majority of what we buy from Russia, which is energy. <coughs> we certainly won't be sanctioning any of that stuff because that would mean a shutdown of our electrical grid, right? So you've got all of these people who are saying, you know, this is what it's like. It's like some, uh, some drug dealer uh, drives over your dog, right? And, and your sister who lives next door is like, oh, I hate that guy. He's the worst guy ever. He's just terrible. I can't believe it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, uh, my son is not going to deliver newspapers to his house anymore. I'm, I'm totally, he's not going to get newspapers. That's it, man. He's cut off. And then you find out that your sister is spending $1,000 a week buying drugs from the guy. This is how insane it looks. That all these Europeans are thumping their chest about how bad Putin is and then they're sending him billions of dollars a week. Because their population has been hardwired to be allergic to the truth. <coughs> the truth is if you want to charge your tablet, somebody's going to have to generate that power. And just out of sight, out of mind, well, I don't want any nuclear weapons. I'm sorry, I don't want any nuclear generators in my part of the woods. It's like, okay, well, then you get, instead of one relatively clean nuclear power station in Europe, you get, you know, 50 satanic mill cold belching monstrosities in China. But it's okay, because that's on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Immaterial. Because right? people they can't think these things through, right? So it just looks kind of ridiculous to be condemned by people who are sending you massive amounts of money every, every week. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Let me catch up a little bit here. Um, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. What happened to... Uh, Justin Trudeau at the European Parliament was uh, quite scathing. See, in order to understand the world, you, you, you have to understand nuance. Okay, morally judging the world is pretty easy, right? Uh, various areas of it, right? Especially if you're an anarcho-capitalist or consistent with the non-aggression principle. So to understand the world... To really understand it, you need nuance. And jumping to outraged conclusions is what dumb people do. I, I've said this for years. I call them the period people. Well, it's just this way, period. It's like, what are you talking about? These are, these are complex issues. And you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the bad guys in order to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it so that you can win. And if you just sit there morally finger-wagging and condemning and say, well, anyone who strives to understand Putin is pro-Putin, and it's like, no, that's like saying anyone who tries to understand cancer is pro-cancer. It's like, no, you, you try to understand it so that you can make intelligent moves against it. So, but we, we just don't have, we, we've elevated so many people into the position of pseudo-intellectuals that we simply can't, it's like you've got 10,000 people with kazoos and you've got three violinists trying to play some Brahms, right? Nobody can hear anything. Well, I guess, you know, we have these conversations and so on, but, yeah, it's, it's really, you, you, you can't be heard over there. The signal-to-noise ratio is ridiculous.
Ben Shapiro wouldn't speak to Steph because he spoke about race and IQ. Did I? I don't recall. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, Ben is a, is a surface guy. Look, Anyone who's still in the mainstream, oh, I don't have to tell you guys all of this. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, many of your early listeners and donors have rejected atheism and become Christian. They grew dissatisfied with objectivism and UPP. What are your thoughts on this? Completely understand it. And they may just be beating the path for me to grudgingly follow after a time. Uh, I will at some point tell you all the things, and there's a lot of them. I will tell you all the things that are pulling me towards a religious worldview. It's um, it's a challenge. And it's funny because even in Just Poor, atheism, which I wrote in a positive light when I wrote the book in my 20s, Just Poor, when I reread it and really dug into the meat and muscle behind it, I'm like, this is actually a very anti-atheist book. Well, you'll you'll get into that when you read it, which I hope you will. All right. Um, do you think the Western governments are trying to blame inflation on the Russian-Ukraine war? Well, sure. I mean, it's not, they don't have to blame it on themselves, right? Do you think anyone will use nukes this time around? I do not. They're trying to understand the motivations of the terrorists makes you the terrorist. It's like, yeah, it's uh, it's very very sad. It's very sad. The West is outsourcing its pollution to the second and third world while trying to uplift them to the Western standard. Yeah, well, white man's burden never worked. Steph, you got a shout-out on Elijah Schaefer's show the other day. Well, that's nice. I have no idea who that is, but it's nice to get a shout-out, I suppose. Steph, would appreciate it if you could briefly say what your disagreement is with Rand's romantic realism. I, I did a three-part series on Ayn Rand... But I don't think that I've talked much about the Romantic Manifesto. So, How do you decide which books are free versus paid, like The Art of the Argument? Well, only The Art of the Argument is paid. All right. Um, let me just sort of catch up on the chats here. Anyone still on YouTube is simply complacent with their own audience being dumbed down by the censorship. Anyone who accepts that and stays on the plat platform has no principles, in my opinion. Well, see, that is, you know, that's an interesting thing, where the goal of all of this hysterical, reactionary, attack dog censorship is to paralyze people to the point where you, every time you think of saying something, you can't just be spontaneous, you can't be genuine, you can't be natural, you can't be human, you can't be yourself because you might say something that could be misinterpreted and you have to not just figure out that this is why they go back so far in the past. This is why they go back to people like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, dig something up. It's so that you have to sit there and say, when you want to put anything out there, you have to sit there and say, okay, well, oh gosh, could this be misinterpreted 10 years or 20 years? Or what if, you know, what if somebody really wanted to um, attack me or deplatform me, you know, would they be able to take this out of context or that out of context? And I'm actually quite proud that the people who wanted to deplatform me had to literally sushi slice and dice up my sentences to make me look bad. Like they couldn't, they couldn't find anything. Um, they, they simply had to take things, like not even out of context, just they completely make things up as far as I'm concerned. So they're trying to get you to be so paralyzed and anxious that you simply can't, you, you can't, 
be spontaneous. You can't think in the moment. You can't process and communicate in the moment. You can't be spontaneous. You can't have the joy of living thought in your life. Everything's got to be so paralyzed and frightened of potential blowback now or down the road. So I've sent a tip, though it was a super chat. Thought it was a super chat. You've said on a live stream a while back that bad experience is better than no experience because in the case of no experiences, you become dead. What is the meaning of being dead inside and how do you know if you are dead, so to speak? I mean, it's funny because, you know, I, I've done so many shows uh, that when people quote me back, I never, I, I, I know that you're well-meaning and I'm not questioning the honesty of what you're saying, but, you know, if you'd said to me something about UPB that I, you know, obviously read, wrote the book and, and know it, but I'm not sure what it is that you're referring to. But have you not met people in your life who, oh, I just, I mean, I just, I was talking to a woman the other day in, in, in a call-in, I have to use this international sign of calling, which is just the people who are, um, well, I, uh, it's, uh, you know, just, they're just trying to hypnotize you into non-existence. And I, I just had to say to her, look, no, not doing this, not doing it this way. I, I'm not, if you're going to take me, if you can take five minutes to finish one simple thought, we're not having a conversation, right? So you just have to try and get people to accelerate. So some people would try and hypnotize you, and it's not a conscious process, trying to hypnotize you into unreality or, or something like that, or, or dissociation, right? But uh, the, the, the truly dangerous people who are dead inside uh, are the murderers, right? This, and was it Scheingold? There's a book I read many, many years ago called Soul Murder. So the goal of particular kinds of abuse, which is chillingly well portrayed, of course, in 1984, is soul murder. It's when you simply lose the capacity to have any spontaneous thoughts or feelings. Anything that spontaneously arises within you, any instantaneous expressed emotional thought that is not filtered, anything like that, you are so paralyzed and terrified that you choke off the energy from the source. You simply will not allow any spontaneous thought. And I mentioned this in one of my live streams. I think it was the premium one. Though I loathe and despise Saturday Night Live in just about every conceivable human dimension, they did have a very good skit about uh, two couples sitting there in New York talking about COVID and completely freaking out when anyone even remotely said something that wasn't completely and utterly mainstream, right? Just panicking and paralyzed and terror oh oh like they made sort of jokes about like the one woman put a bag over his head another guy was just like <laughs> another woman um, and, and put an elevator thing the elevator doors closed and you, you should look it up it's a covid conversation thing it's quite quite recent and that is that's a terrifying existence because it means that you have friends that if you say something that they don't like they will kill you socially they will kill you. So they will ostracize you socially. Now, being ostracized socially is a death sentence. And in fact, in some ways, it's worse than a death sentence. Um, if you're a man and you go to war and you get killed in that war, but your side wins, the tribe will take care of your kids, your family, your wife, or whatever, right? And we know this. Uh, in primitive societies, we also know this, of course, in the First World War. If you got killed, your wife got a survivor's benefit and, and your kids got whatever, right? benefits and free government school as they usually did so it's worse than a death sentence to be socially ostracized 
Because if you're socially ostracized, your entire family usually goes with you. And then you're out in the wilderness, you can't reproduce, you can't survive, because we couldn't survive in the wilderness alone. We are tribal species, we're a social species, social animal. So when people are hanging this guillotine of dissociation and ostracism over you, it is, um, it's literally like they are, um, they, have, they have guns in their hands. They have guns in their hands at the dinner table. Except it's the kind of gun that wounds, not even kills, right? So it's, it's and, and we know this, ostracism provokes the same hardwiring in the brain as physical torture. And, and it should, evolutionarily speaking, we should be terrified of ostracism, right? Now, of course, I've talked about voluntary relationships from the very beginning of this show 16 plus years ago. Still stand by that 100%. I could not imagine anymore. I mean, I had this when I was younger, God help me. I could not imagine anymore being in relationships where I could not speak my mind. It doesn't mean I'm always right, of course, right? But being in a relationship where I could not speak my mind, I don't have those in my life. I don't. And, you know, I, I don't know what to say other than it's, it's great. It's great. It's great. I don't have relationships in my life where I cannot speak my mind. You know, some absolutely appalling thought comes into your head, you know, where even you're like, ooh, you know, and it's just like, this is what I'm thinking. I'm probably wrong, but this is what I'm thinking. And other people are like, oh, it's a bit unusual, a bit alarming maybe, but tell me more, right? And then you just work it out. You find out if it's a good thought or it's a bad thought or whatever, right? But the idea that I would just strangle these thoughts in the crib, that I would simply smother my authentic and true self for the sake of social approval, um, oh, that's a ghastly, that's a ghastly life. It's a ghastly life. <clears throat> when do you think you will do the talk and the ending of Almost? Um, it probably won't be any time soon. I'll, I'll do a big push for people to read it, and I'll give them a chance to read it, and then we'll do it. Uh, let's see here. The West gets economically nuked. Well, look, nobody wants the economy to go tits up, obviously, but you can find the upside in just about every downside, right? You can find the upside in just about every downside. So, for example... Um, the, the pretend economy that we currently have is a giant magnet for migration. And if you're not a big fan of mass migration, then the economy uh, certainly has to be reformed, so it isn't that way, right? <coughs> when part four, I don't think that's ever going to happen. It's been a couple of years since I, well, many years since I did the Ayn Rand stuff. I don't think it's going to be. I also got a shout out on Owen Benjamin's last live stream. How nice. Do you plan on doing more collaborations with Izzy? Actually, we were just talking about that today. We were just talking about that today. How about another Doom live stream? I'll own you. Oh, it's multiplayer. You can do Doom multiplayer. Um, let's see here. How do I have women in a blue state to date regarding the vax as a lost cause? Oof, yeah, you know, I mean, in Canada, like almost 90% of the people are vaccinated. That's going to cut down your dating pool. I think it's more... It's more men than I think it's more women than men who've been vaccinated. So, and did you hear what was it? The drummer for Foo Fighters, his heart basically just exploded, like John Hurt style. And and wasn't that the this was the band that said everyone who comes to our concerts has to be vaccinated? Seems like the most Steph shoutouts I've heard from, from Sam Hyde. I don't know Sam Hyde really very well at all. Heard that rumor swirling Elon Musk to buy Twitter. 
Well, so yeah, I think he put out a tweet saying, you know, do you guys think that Twitter is applying its its free speech rules very well, very objectively? And of course, the vast majority of people said no. And he said, that's really bad for democracy. And it is really bad for democracy. But, you know, you can't have a big government and free speech because lying is so profitable when you've got the state to subsidize it. So. Now, and another thing you could do, of course, is look, if, if you're into philosophy and thinking for yourself, very few people will be your friends or lovers. I mean, we are not a vanishing breed, and at least we can find each other through the internet, but, you know, we're not, we're not exactly growing massively in numbers as yet. So, you know, if you find out the vax, like, if you know someone is vaxxed, you know with virtual certainty everything else they believe. I mean, I'm sure you've seen those polls where, you know, people who are vaccinated are, like, really keen on massive sanctions on Russia and punishments of Russia, and the people who aren't vaccinated are like, well, I don't know, it's complicated, it's not our fight, blah, 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 right? So if, if someone is vaccinated, if they tell you, I'm vaccinated, they've told you just about everything that you need to know about them, sadly. All right. Uh, wasn't Jesus just the consequence of a single mother? That's kind of trolly. Of course, that's not the truth of the Bible at all, right? And she was married to Joseph, right? I envy your ability to be direct. All right. I don't know what Cylon eyes means. If you're going to tell people the truth, you better make them laugh or they'll kill you. Yeah, but the problem is if you make them laugh, they think it's just comedy and they don't act on it. So it's tough. Let's see here. I'm uh, sorry, just catching up here. Do you think low IQ people should be sterilized? What a god-awful idea. Absolutely not. No, no. It's a violation of the non-aggression principle. You must be mad. No, God, no. Have you watched any good TV lately? I have not. Uh, so a listener asked me, a couple of listeners over the years have asked me to watch Drop Dead Fred. So I have been watching that, but I haven't finished it as yet. So I haven't watched uh, I haven't watched anything good lately. What I have been doing is playing Settlers of Catan with family and friends. That's actually a really fun game. It's a really fun game. Uh, let's see here. I would have given you the link, but my question was about being dead inside, and I was worried that not having a lot of experiences would lead me to be dead inside. It's a thought I've been having. I don't want to be dead inside. Yeah. So if you're really dead inside, then you will feel great rage and a desire to destroy anybody who's spontaneous and genuine because they then make your dead death your stink death stink palpable to you. Uh, if you're worried about being dead inside, you're probably not dead inside. And the people who of course who are the really the really dead inside people are the real sociopaths and psychopaths who don't feel fear and who only experience other people as tools to manipulate to gain resources and so on. So um, and of course if you are I'm into board games now, are you kidding me? I mean, I have, a, I have a daughter. We 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 would play Monopoly games that would last two weeks. It was yeah. We used to we've played a lot of board games over the years. I think they're a lot of fun, and they can be uh, hysterically funny, of course, right? Uh, do you think men should be less superficial in terms of physical attraction when choosing a potential wife? Well, I mean, you need to be attracted to the person for sure, 
but recognize that you're going to spend a whole lot of time in a marriage and raising kids and working, not having sex. So if you don't like the person, if you don't admire and respect the person, marriage is going to be just horrifying. Any good hiking or adventuring lately? I've had a pretty big adventure lately, but now's not the time. Now's not the time. Uh, Let's see here. Modern, no, let's see here. Uh, Sorry, I just lost that one. Modern neuroscience is revealing to us that consciousness is a production of the brain structures working in network. What do you think that does for our shared branch of philosophy, ethics, if such a thing is definitively proven? Well, I'm sorry, are you still on the belief science thing? Are you still on the, like, so you know that, and I did a whole interview and presentation on this years ago, a replication crisis in science is enormous. Like massive numbers, half, two-thirds, three-quarters of scientific experiments that are considered true can't be replicated, which means that they're not true. The replication crisis in science is staggering and enormous. I mean, science, I mean, did you see Rachel Walensky, which is the head of the CDC, I think, She basically was interviewed and she said, oh my God, we were so relieved when CNN said that the vaccines were safe and effective because like now we have a path forward. It's like CNN, (laughs) not in particular against CNN, but some reporter reporting a Pfizer press release and that's the entire basis for your science? No, believe none of it. So yeah, when when a scientist comes along, uh, even, was it Brian May, uh, the, the guitarist for Queen, and a great songwriter and not a bad singer actually, but uh, 39, it's a great tune. But when he went back to do his PhD, to finish his PhD, uh, after many decades as, as a rock star, uh, he was like, wow, there's been almost no progress in my field. Was string theory? I remember, I, was, I remember dating an engineer at Queen's University many, 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 many years ago in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s. And um, it was all about the string theory and there was going to be these big breakthroughs and it's all, I mean, it's all... A bunch of make work and, and didn't the CDC just drop 24% of the deaths from children's uh, COVID and didn't they also drop 74,000 adult deaths because they were pushing a million under Biden no no it's all I, I unless somebody is facing negative consequences for lying I don't believe them like just just this is my default position so if let's say so this modern neuroscience, I don't know what the, it's some, I assume it's something to do with determinism or whatever, right? Now, I think this is a good rule. I mean, it's my rule. I mean, doesn't mean it has to be yours, but I, I think it's a good rule. And the rule is something like this. So if, if, if someone was an entrepreneur and was, had, had mortgaged his house and, and sold his cars and, and borrowed a quarter of a million dollars and was going to go completely bankrupt if his business failed. And his business was based on this neuroscientific whatever's been discovered. I'd be like, okay, maybe, maybe. At least he's going to face some negative consequences if he fails. But... What negative consequences has anyone in the government failed for the fact that lockdowns killed twice the number of people than COVID did, right? I mean, no negative consequences, right? This stuff I talked about in April of 2020, saying we can't have lockdowns because it's going to cost more lives than it saves. And that's true. And it was very predictable, right? There's not any brilliance in that. So, I mean, it's brilliance in other stuff, just not in that. So, when, when I read the scientific stuff, you know, my fundamental question is, okay, what if they're wrong? What happens? 
Do they face any negative consequences for being wrong? No. The people who who said, uh, what was it, the Royal College of, of England, Royal College of London, and they had all these predictions about the, okay, so they were wrong, wildly wrong, about these prevalence of COVID, spread of COVID, right? What, uh, what negative consequences did they face for being wrong? Well, none. And that was entirely predictable. So when I see these kinds of things, oh, science is saying this. And of course, the other thing too, like we know the IQ stuff is solid science, been going on for more than 100 years. People won't talk about that at all. So if they don't face any negative consequences, well, two things. If, they, if you've never worked with your hands and you don't face any negative consequences for being wrong, I have no interest in what you have to say. Like none. No interest. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about other people as a whole, right? All right. So let's see here. The trades and barbarians expansion is great. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, we, we've played... Um, uh, uh, this is Settlers of Catan. Um, I used to beg my parents to play Monopoly with me, but they never wanted to. You're such an amazing dad. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I really I have such... I was just talking about that. I went for lunch with my daughter today. And uh, it was just great. We were like an hour and a half just sitting there chatting. We were talking about all the games we've played before and all that and just reminiscing about all the fun that we had. I mean, I'm sorry because I don't know why you'd have kids and not do everything you could to enjoy their company. I'm sorry that that didn't happen for you. I really, but now that you know that it's unpleasant, you can be different for your kids. All right. Eugenics is the solution for humanity. Well, that's just stupid, evil stuff that you're saying. Sorry, it, it is. Eugenics is a government program of forced sterilization or breeding. <clears throat> Human beings are not livestock. They're not subject to the state to control their reproduction. So, no, that's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. All right. And, and not just wrong, but immoral, right? Because you're proposing a, a giant evil in the world. You should be aware of that kind of stuff, right? All right, totally understand the point you're making. I agree with that standard. However, this particular topic in neuroscience is pretty substantial. By that, I mean that every piece of data is showing us this. Of course, I have to agree about the negative repercussions about being wrong. Nobody in science anymore does. And is it a... Is it a um, because is it, is it sort of like one of these arguments that you hear in science where people say, oh, you know, you can choose the left or the right thing on the screen, and then you, you also say when you've made your decision and it turns out that the decision happened a second before deep in their brain and you can predict what they're going to say? Because that's not determinism at all. So, Well, because it, it used to be the case, sorry, just to jump back to the earlier topic because somebody said people in power don't punish, they persecute. Yeah, it used to be the case, of course, that if you if you violently attacked someone or tried to get them fired, that would be a confession that you were wrong and really immoral, but that's not the way it is anymore. Virtue has become something now that is, it, it's greasing the skids of people's rage. So virtue is now that which allows you to hate. Right. Nazis, asterisks, except as of. Right, so far-right extremists, Nazis, white nationalists, white supremacists, like these are all just words that allow you to uncork your frustration, rage, and hatred against others. Religion, Christianity in particular, has to demand that you love your enemies, which means that morality cannot be used as a justification for hatred. But modern morality, not really morality, but what's called morality, it is merely a mechanism by which 
people can legitimize and justify their own desire for destruction, their own desire to destroy others as they have been themselves destroyed. It is uh, fundamentally immoral, and you would really argue it's kind of satanic, right, I think, right, that you would say that um, if, if the people in charge say that this person is bad, you're now completely legitimate to hate them, and, and that's your excuse for doing violence or, or being able to hate people, right, so... Uh, let's see here. All right. So meditation, I mean, just get a meditation app. That's nice, right? All right. Um, I've been eating healthy for quite some time, but I want to treat. But now fast food tastes so bad to me. Any tips on a good treat, Steph? Would, what, what would you have? A good treat... Um, so I, I like a little bit of salted dark chocolate from time to time. I'm not going to lie. Still have a bit of a sweet tooth. So uh, that's a good, a good treat. Um, I know it's not the best thing for you, but every once in a blue moon, my daughter and I will tootle down to a frozen yogurt place and pile up the fruit in a little froyo. Um, a little bit of granola can be nice with some milk. So yeah, those things can be nice. <coughs> fruit, of course, is always a great thing. And I find fruit with uh, a plain yogurt really nice, really nice. All right. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, right? Uh, yeah. Asaf Battalion, good. Charlottesville, bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the people, they can't think, right? Because if you have to think and apply your moral standards rationally, you might catch yourself up in that net, right? Because when you use morality as a way of loosening the beast within and allowing you to to hate and destroy and feel like a good person... Oh, you know, morality, true morality, UPB has become, well, and Christianity has kind of become your enemy at that point, right? All right. Um, I have dark chocolate almost every day. Excellent. Yeah, there was a Great Depression in 1919, actually worse than the stock market crash in 1929, but was it Coolidge at the time? Didn't do anything about it and resolved within a year or 18 months or so. IQ is a nice metric, but should not be treated as a panacea. A statement like that is just a statement of vague whatever, right? Well, it's something, but it's not everything. I mean, you could say that about everything, you know? Gravity is important, but it shouldn't be treated as an absolute. Like, well, that's not, not, not a great example. But IQ is a nice metric, but should not be treated as a panacea. That's just sowing the seeds of doubt without any rational limitations, and you're not helping anybody in that kind of statement at all. Not giving any kind of uh, explanation or in what way is it limited and all that, right? Uh, if you could, so if you have emails to send to me about Collins, if you could send it to Collins, C A L L I N, Collins at freedomain.com. All right. Yes, if you could, thank you. I'll still be doing those from time to time. You guys like the new camera? I'm still working on the lighting, but. Uh, IQ, yeah, so IQ for complex jobs, IQ predicts success at an 80% rate. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Stefan, do you think the NSA is spying on you? Do you see something? I assume that the NSA is spying on everyone. Glad you're keeping the call-ins as part of the show. Oh, I love the call-ins. And, and of course, as far as like actually doing things that, that change people's lives in the world, probably the best stuff. Probably the best stuff. Will you be doing interviews with interesting people any longer? Um, I don't think so for a while. I don't think so for a while. I have, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a concern that reputational splash damage would affect other people, so 
I mean, I can handle it, but I don't want other people um, to uh, to get caught in the splash damage. All right. I have a cookie for you if you're good. Good how? Good in bed. All right. Um, I think we should, yeah, we're probably close. He's only got a couple of minutes left anyway. All right. Well, listen, thanks, guys, for dropping by tonight. A real pleasure. I'm glad to take this all for a spin. And uh, I've got a new amp, got a new mic, got a new camera, and beautiful. So uh, thanks so much for dropping by tonight. Freedomain.com forward slash donate to uh, help out the show and allow me to repair the shattered finances of the show. <laughs> would be great. I would really appreciate that. Thank you uh, so much. Justpoornovel.com. Get my uh, free novel, almostnovel.com. Uh, you can go and get uh, my free novel, Almost. Uh, they're both fantastic. And um, I think The God of Atheists, I can't remember where it is, but I think it's somewhere on the website. But yeah, thanks everyone so much uh, for a wonderful evening. Such a great pleasure to chat. Mwah! Lots of love from up here and uh, take care, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.